Right, go ahead with the logic. Okay, Mark, logic one and two, Mark. Houston, we are set. We have a cryo press light. Roger, copy, cryo press light. Apollo 11, this is uh, Houston. Minus 10, 9, 8. We have a go for main engine start. We have main engine start. 4, 3, 2, 1, 0. Hello and welcome to Space Gen, the show where you find out all the latest from the space industry. You can catch our episodes on X-Ray FM every Wednesday at 8 a.m. or on SoundCloud by searching Space Gen. I'm your host, Daniel Trainer, and let's get into the news. Okay, so chances are you probably watched Terminator. I know I did. And I'll tell you, when I watched the film, it didn't look very good for the humans. They didn't really come out too well at the end. Well, if you think back to August uh, of this year, Russia sent up its gun-toting robot Fedor to the International Space Station. He spent a couple of weeks up there learning how to be a cosmonaut, learning how to do pretty much everything. He was going around, he had to drill, and then a couple of weeks, days later, we heard there was a hole in the ISS. So I don't know how that got there. But anyway, uh, Fedor is now back on Earth, and the Russian Space Agency has revealed that the bot's next destination is the moon. And according to sources... They're going to chop off his legs and attach him to a lunar rover. And a little bit Halloween-ish, which is, hey, perfect timing. Now, the timeline for this uh, to go uh, up to the moon is in the next three to four years. It's very, very soon. And we're talking about lunar surface. We're not talking about the ISS again. And this is kind of interesting because the United Kingdom is also rethinking, you know, how do we design a lunar rover? Now, lunar rovers, you kind of, you know the general shape. They've got, like, usually six wheels on them, and they kind of go across the surface very slowly. They've got their solar panels. Well, the UK is designing a cube-shaped rover, and it's going to have spider legs instead of the wheels. And that's supposed to go to the moon in 2021. And why, why is this? Everybody's using legs now. We've got this humanoid half-robot. Well, the reason is, and I kind of did a bit of research into this, you've probably heard of Boston Dynamics with their Spot RoboDog, and they kind of show it on the ice and they kick it, see how is it going to be able to adjust itself so it doesn't fall over. And the whole point of it is to carry very heavy materials, very heavy items, pretty much across any terrain. And that's the whole point. That's why you need legs. You can't do that with wheels. And if you tried, you would get to a point where the wheels would have to articulate that much that it would make more sense to just have legs. But then we need to ask ourselves another question. 2024 is just around the corner, and that's when humans are going to be on the lunar surface. Do we really need these robots? And again, going back to Boston Dynamics, the Spot RoboDog, which as I've said, you can buy this, uh, they, they demonstrate it. It goes to a job work site or the, the construction place. They have gear on it, very heavy gear that maybe a human cannot carry, and it literally just follows people. That's what robots are going to be used for, especially when we go to the moon. Although you saw NASA with that new spacesuit, and you know, it is very maneuverable, but you don't really want to carry very heavy things because anything can happen up there and you are kind of on your own. So it's very, you've got to be very careful. And things like these robo dogs and this Frankenstein Fedder robot rover and the UK's spider cube, they could all be used to do things that, you know, the human can't do, or at least when we first get there. Because remember, the suits will improve. We might even get these exoskeletons, which we'll talk about sometime soon. But anyway, talking about all these moon rovers, you know, NASA's sending their 
own rover and it's going to be going to the south pole of the moon to get an up close view and location of the concentration of water ice in the region. And for the first time ever, it's actually going to sample the water ice at the same pole where the first woman and the next man will land in 2024 in the Artemis program. So this is definitely useful. This is going to help with the mission. Are we going to be able to use that water for fuel? Are we going to be able to use it for oxygen? It really opens the possibilities up. Now, the actual rover is about the size of a golf cart. And here, wait for it. This is the name of it. It's called the Volatiles Investigation Polar Exploration Rover. What a mouthful that is. Uh, for short, it's called the Viper, which is a really nice name. And it'll roam several miles and it'll use four scientific instruments, including a one meter drill. And that's going to sample various soils and the environment. And we're going to learn a lot that we didn't know about the soil there. And this is all planned for December 2022. So this is very, very like soon. And once the Viper gets there, it's going to collect over 100 days of data. And that's going to be used to inform the first global water resource maps off the moon. So NASA's Artemis program is beginning this whole new era, especially using the robots with humans working together to push the boundaries of what's possible in space exploration. Now we're going to talk about space warfare, especially now that we're going into the 2020s. Now NATO for the upcoming summit, which is going to be in early December, is expected to declare space as a warfighting domain. Uh, and this is all partly in response to new developments in technology. And you know, if it does declare space as a war zone, NATO could even start using space weapons to destroy other satellites or incoming enemy missiles. And as soon as I heard about this, this totally got me thinking about James Bond. You know, you've got those evil villains, they've got the big satellite, and we're going to laser this city unless you pay us. That's kind of what it got me thinking about. And the fact that commercial companies have this capability, uh, that kind of makes you think, you know, this probably already exists for these global military powers. Another development is that France recently announced that they're going to build their bodyguard satellite, which is actually going to be armed with a machine gun or a laser. And this follows the announcement that the US was going to launch Space Force, and that was back in 2018. But I think a lot of other nations are going to be following in that suit. And this is quite interesting because, you know, we're moving more and more every day into a technology society. And let, let's just take a great example, cars. And especially when you look at what the police are doing with their new pursuit technology. Now, a few years back, researchers at Eureka Aerospace were creating an electromagnetic system that could quickly bring a vehicle to a complete stop. And the system was able to be easily attached to an automobile or an aircraft carrier. And it sends out a pulse of microwave radiation. And that disables microprocessors, everything that kind of controls the engine functions in the car. And the parts that would break would be the ignition control, the fuel injector and the fuel pump control. However, there's an interesting part to this. Electronic control modules weren't built into most cars until 1972. So the system wouldn't work on all the cars, but the majority of people do drive new cars. Now imagine that sort of a thing in orbit and it being used as a weapon. You can kind of see why NATO would maybe be a little bit concerned about it. So could we in the near future be living in a Mad Max-esque world with all this technology just totally being wiped? Well, I guess we're just going to have to keep an eye out for it. Now, here's a really interesting one. The US Air Force, their secret X-37B spacecraft, returned to Earth after 780 days in orbit. That's like a world record. 
So they have two of these uh, X-37B spacecraft, and both of them have flown multiple flights. It's a solar-powered space plane, and it's built by Boeing, and it has a miniature payload bay to do experiments and launch some small satellites. And originally, they were only designed to spend about 240 days in orbit, but clearly it exceeded that by quite a lot. But what did it actually do up there? Well, Air Force officials said that the exact nature of the X-37B missions are classified. However, they dropped some hints uh, to the types of experiments that the OTV-5, which was this mission, performed in orbit. One of the payloads was a Air Force Research Laboratory Advanced Structurally Embedded Thermal Spreader. It's quite a mouthful, but it was designed to test experiment electronics and oscillating heat pipe technologies in long-duration space environments. And why is that important? Well, when you're up in orbit and you've got the sun beaming on you, it's really hot. And when you're in the shade, it's like really cold. So you have to really take into consideration heat fluctuations. So let's try and visualize how big this is. So it's about 29 feet long. It's about nine and a half feet tall. And it has a wingspan of around 15 feet. So it's pretty small. And it's got a little payload bay, a little bit like the space shuttle. And it's about the size of a pickup truck bed. So seven feet long by four feet wide. So it's pretty clear, we have to admit, that this is probably the coolest space pickup truck ever. Now, you remember I mentioned exoskeleton suits? Well, I'll tell you why it's become a reality. A quadriplegic man has now walked again for the first time thanks to a French agency called CEA Laboratories. They have a brain-controlled robotic exoskeleton suit. Totally sounds like it came out of a sci-fi film, and it is real. The suit's able to be tested uh, just in the lab, and they managed to actually get the guy to move all four limbs. So this is the first semi-invasive wireless brain computer system designed for long-term use. But let's take a moment to just think about how is this going to be used for going to Mars and going to the moon? You know, I look at it and I think the first thing this could be used for is base construction. We were just talking about those robots and, you know, the issue of lifting up heavy items. If you had an exoskeleton suit, well, that's really it. You've just got your one piece of kit on you. And unlike robots, they're much more agile. And why did I say that? Well, actually, Elon Musk uh, kind of gave a little insight into how robots compare with humans. With the Teslas getting built, especially the Model 3, some of the parts the robots go into weld, humans can do a lot better. They can kind of squeeze in. They can also see if something's not going too well. The robot's just going to be programmed to do what it needs to do. The human, the human adds that little bit of extra insight. Now, I'm taking into consideration this is before we have any AI that's going to be able to do any of this stuff. So currently, humans are the best. But I also looked at, you know, we just had the NASA EVA suit, uh, the new one that we just talked about with Jim Bridenstine saying, you know, when it comes to radiation, we kind of want to go underground, stay away from it. Uh, the suit's able to do a little bit, but not much. And that got me thinking, well, if you have something like an exoskeleton suit, which is able to deal with the heavier weight, well, you know what you could do? You could have the lead padding, which is really heavy, and then you would be totally radiation-proof. But let's take it one step further. Now, Neuralink, which is an Elon Musk company, is similarly looking into combining man with machine. Because, uh, you know, we're obviously going to need to deal with artificial intelligence. Whether we like it or not, it is going to be something that needs dealt with. And currently, a hybrid option is the only option. And that's combining man with machine. But how does this relate to being interplanetary and all of that? Well, imagine now that Starlink network, which we're talking about was already being done around Earth on Mars, and you linked them up together, and you also linked it to this brain implant. You could literally control an entire robo-fleet system and become a real one-man army. 
The possibilities are absolutely insane. So we're definitely gonna keep our eye on that. Now, what if I was to tell you that NASA has a light speed engine concept? And this just came out recently. So David Burns, who's part of NASA's Marshall Space Flight Center, just created a new concept for an engine that he says can move close to the speed of light without any moving parts or any need of fuel. It's called the helical engine, and it could be used to travel interstellar distances, sending astronauts to the moon in about one second. And if you wanted to go to Mars, hey, no problem, 13 minutes, which is quite a lot less than what we'd currently take, which is six plus months. Burns wrote in the paper's abstract that a new concept for in-space propulsion is proposed in which the propellant is not ejected from the engine, but instead it's captured in a near-infinite specific impulse. He also added to that, the engine accelerates ions confined in a loop to moderate relativistic speeds, then varies their velocity to make slight changes to their mass. The engine then moves the ions back and forth along the direction of travel to produce thrust. This in-space engine could be used for long-term satellite station keeping without refueling. Now, as soon as I saw the non-refueling, that, that really was like, whoa. This engine could actually make something like a space city, if you had it on a big enough scale, a real possibility. I mean, imagine that. You're on Mars, or you're on the moon, and you've got your kind of base down there, and then you go up to connect with the massive mothership, which isn't too far away. He said, you know, it could be used to propel spacecraft across interstellar distances, reaching close to the speed of light. He then added, the engine has no moving parts other than the ions traveling around in vacuum lines trapped inside an electromagnetic field. But again, it is just a concept, and even David Burns admitted he's not too sure if it's doable, but it does take inspiration from some current technology with high-tech particle accelerators, just like the one in Europe called the Large Hadron Collider, which is at CERN. So although this sounds far-fetched, it's ideas like this that are going to help us become interplanetary. Again, this is all news we just had in the last week. This is how quick things are starting to move, and as I've said before, we really are heading into a new space age. So if you like hearing about the news, make sure to tune in every Wednesday at 8am on X-Ray FM, or on SoundCloud by searching Space Gen. I'm your host, Daniel Trainer, and I'll see you next time.